Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 66 of the podcast, and it is the World Junior Preview episode. We're finally there. Christmas right around the corner, Boxing Day right after that, and Boxing Day means World Junior. It's not a holiday in the United States, but it is if you're a hockey fan, and so we cannot wait for that. Team USA will kick the tournament off against Latvia on that or as we start the 2023 World Junior Championship. So today we are going to talk wall-to-wall World Juniors for the most part. And I've got questions. We're going to go over Team USA. We're going to go over Team Canada. We have final rosters. We have an idea of what things are going to look like in terms of lines and different things like that. Team USA will be playing their first pre-tournament game the night that we record this. So this will be out by the time Team USA plays that game. Um, which should help clarify a few of the little loose ends that we still don't know about. But we'll get to that very soon. Before we get started, wanted to wish you all a, a very happy holidays. I'm really excited. You know, I'll be heading over to the World Juniors, but I spend Christmas with my kids here uh, before I head out. So it gets me there a little bit later. But, you know, this time of year is all about spending time with family. And I hope that you get a chance to do that with yours as well. And if you're celebrating the holidays and you're feeling like you're in the giving spirit, why not throw a kind rating and review towards Talking Hockey Sense on your podcast app of choice? Would really appreciate it. We've gotten some great reviews over the last few years that we've done the podcast, and we need more of them because we're really starting to ramp things up here on the Flow Sports Podcast Network. We want to get this podcast growing. We want it to continue. We want to keep moving and, and want to keep informing you about all the great hockey things. And one way to do that is to contribute by leaving a written review on your podcast app of choice, leaving a five-star rating, and of course, subscribing to the podcast. And don't forget, you can always watch this podcast on flowhockey.tv. It is available every single week along with clips from each episode so that you will never have to miss another episode in any way, shape, or form. We can get it to your video. We can get it to your audio. You can do a lot of different ways there. And also, subscribe to Flow Sports. There is a lot of great things coming up. We've got the Great Lakes Invitational coming up on uh, Flow Sports on December 27th and 28th. It's one of the great midseason traditions in college hockey, a tradition that goes back over 50 years. This year, you'll see Michigan State, Michigan Tech, Ferris State, and Western Michigan playing in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You can see all four games, the two semifinal games and the third place and championship games on flowhockey.tv. So make sure you are subscribed to that. And before we get into our World Junior talk, I did want to take a, a second to pause because there were the, the hockey family across North America and across the world suffered a loss this weekend. 18-year-old London Knights player Abakar Kazbikov tragically died over the weekend. Um, he was just 18 years old from Moscow, Russia, had been playing for the London Knights for the last two years, was the first overall pick in the U18 OHL draft just a couple of years ago and committed to play for the Knights. Um, his death is still under investigation by local authorities. London police told CTV London that Kazbikov died in a fall. Um, his death remains under investigation, though no fall play is suspected. Um, and our hearts go out to the London Knights, to all of the people that knew uh, the young man and that all the people that, that cared about him. And I know that that was a very wide group because he came over from Russia as a younger player, he was trying to make his career in Canada. Um, and, you know, as a young teen coming over and playing, you know, AAA hockey in Canada, not speaking the language is a very difficult thing. 
Um, and leaving home at a young age is a very difficult thing. And, um, you know, we, we just, our hearts go out to, to his family, to his friends, to all who knew him. And we're definitely thinking of you this holiday season. Again, Abakar Kazbakov, 18 years old, gone far too soon. And our hearts go out to you. No easy way to transition, but we do have to get focused on the World Junior Championship and what we're going to be doing at Flow Hockey as well. I wanted to share with you a little bit that throughout this week, as the week before Christmas here, we will have a ton of World Junior Preview content. We've got Team USA previews, Team Canada previews, the NHL Fans Guide to the World Junior Championship, um, a list of the top draft eligibles playing. So However you want to engage with this tournament, you're going to be able to do so on Flow Hockey. I will be on the ground in Moncton for most of the tournament. I'll also be moving over to Halifax for the end. So I will be there for the duration of the World Junior Championship, though I will be getting there a little bit late on the first day. Uh, but we will have video interviews. We will have a lot of written content, a lot of game, kind of not necessarily your game recaps like your traditional game recaps, but more analysis and looking at how Team USA is playing. We're going to basically be following... Team USA. So if you need a source specific to Team USA, you'll be able to get that at Flow Hockey. Of course, I'll be covering the, the tournament in general, as well as watching all the prospects there. Uh, I'll be watching games back, the ones that I'm not at. So you know, it's going to be a very busy couple of weeks for me, but I hope that it'll be a, a great experience for you to engage with that content. And again, you'll be able to find that on flowhockey.tv. We won't have a podcast next week because that's when the tournament is beginning. So it's going to be hard for me to uh, get that taken care of while I'm traveling over to Atlantic Canada, but we will have lots of other content to consume and to enjoy, and hopefully it'll help you enjoy your World Junior Championship a little bit more. So we're really excited to bring that to you as well. Now we're going to move into our actual preview coverage here on Talking Hockey Sense, and we're going to start with Team USA. They finalized their roster on Friday, 25 players. Now, 25 players can be registered to go into the tournament to at least be credentialed to be in the tournament. However, only 23 can be on the active roster at any one time. And once a player is replaced on the active roster, they cannot return to the tournament. So at any one time, 23 players. That means that USA is traveling heavy over to uh, Moncton, where they will have you know basically two extras. And if there are injuries, illness, or anything like that, they can filter those players in. The other thing that's important to remember is that Team USA does not have to register all 23 from the outset. We don't know exactly what the plan is. We know that there have been some injury issues and some other players that you know came to camp late, so they're still trying to sort a few things out. There's a chance that when they go into that first game against Latvia, they don't have their full roster with them um, registered, meaning that and, and if you're not registered, you can't play. So there could be a, a bit of a lighter roster. USA is traveling with an extra defenseman, an extra forward. They have the three goaltenders that you're allowed. So we'll have to wait and see exactly how that's going to play out. But 23 players can be registered at any one time. The 25 that were, were named to the team, they made their final cuts. Uh, Shai Buyam was probably the biggest surprise of the cuts because he was one of the USA's bigger defensemen. Um, and, you know, I think the thing there, he's a really good player. He's got a good two-way defenseman. He played for the national championship and won a national championship with Denver last season. Um, you know, he's in the mix for the team last year. I think the biggest thing that we notice with this team USA, especially in how they built their decor, is it's built with pace in mind. And so they're really fast, puck-moving, highly mobile defensemen. And of the players in camp, I think Shai Buyum may have been the one of the weaker skaters among defensemen. And he's not a weak skater. It's just that's how this team is built. They're built for speed. They're built for puck movement. And so 
you, you wonder if that size factor is going to matter. Only one defenseman will be over six feet tall on Team USA's blue line. It's going to be one of the smallest decors in the tournament and one of the smallest that U.S. has ever brought to the World Junior Championship. And so that'll be an, very interesting because now we're talking about style. How are they going to play? And so fast is going to be the, the name of the game. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But other players, Will Smith, unfortunately, got sick during camp and he was not able to, to participate and it sounded like, you know, the illness was going to be severe enough where it wasn't really going to allow him to be a full participant for a while. So unfortunately, the underager and draft eligible, who could be a top five pick this year, will not be playing at the World Junior Championship. Same for Ryan Leonard, another potential first rounder in this year's draft. He did not make the team. Um, Aiden Hershuk, uh from Boston College was one of the defensemen cut. Uh, in addition to Booyam, Jack Devine, Cam One, and then the goaltender Tyler Muselik also released from camp. So, um, you know, Cam Lund, Jack, uh, Cam Lund and, uh, and Ryan Leonard and Will Smith will all have a, another opportunity to play for this team. The other guy's not. So that is, you know, it's always difficult to make those decisions, but it looks like Team USA clearly has the team that they want and the team that they think can play the way that they need to play. Um, we'll see Caden Embarico and Trey Augustine kind of battling it out for the number one job. I think Caden Embarico has the inside track. We got a couple Augustine questions coming up in our Q&A a little bit later that we'll get to, but you know, I, I think that the, the thing about this team that, that really stands out is they want to move pucks quickly. They want to be a fast transition team. They want to be a hard forechecking team. They do have some size up front. We'll have to wait and see who those who that last winger or, or, or center is that they want to make that 13th forward and who will be that 14th forward that ultimately will basically be an alternate for the team. They've got some good options there. Charlie Stramel brings the size and physicality. And you've got a guy like Gavin Brindley who has the speed factor. So there's a lot of different ways that that can go. Um, and we're not really even sure who ultimately is on the bubble, but we know guys like Noah Laba had a really strong camp and played his way into the team. And that was a guy that they were thinking about for quite some time as a, as a big center with some, some skating ability and a guy that they think could play down their lineup. So New York Rangers prospect getting an, a bigger opportunity. But when it comes to Team USA, what is one of the most important things? It's how the top players play. You need your best players to step up in a tournament like this. This is a tournament where one to two players can make a difference in terms of whether you win or lose a game. That's just the way the World Juniors works. Sometimes you need somebody to step up. And Team USA is going to be leaning heavily on Luke Hughes, their number one defenseman and just named captain of Team USA. So Luke Hughes is going to be a major factor for the U.S. He's probably their most important player. He's a two-way defenseman. He's a guy that can really get the offense going. And he'll also be on the power play, could be on the trigger, uh, a trigger man there uh, as they, they want to get his shot activated. You know, they've got a lot of different options in terms of defense that you might see two defensemen on each decor because the defense is so, or on each power play because the defense is so dynamic that it might really ultimately help your forward group. Um, and, and so we'll have to kind of see where, where the lineup ultimately ends up. But Luke Hughes, we know, will play a lot of minutes and, and will be in a lot of different situations. And now also team captain. Also, Sean Barons and Red Savage named alternate captains for the team, both returning players from last year. You figure that they will play uh, fairly prominent roles. Uh, Red Savage certainly should be a big part of the USA's PK and also down their lineup, where Sean Barons could be on one of the power play units and certainly. Uh, is a guy that gives you a little bit of two-way value as well as a highly mobile defenseman. So there's a lot there that uh, that Team USA is going to have to work with on the back end. Up front, the big line that we are expecting to be together is Logan Cooley centering Jimmy Snuggerud on the right side and Cutter Goche on the left side. Now, Cutter Goche has been playing center 
throughout this season. But this trio was dominant at the World Under-18s last spring. They are have chemistry. Cooley and Snuggerud play together at the University of Minnesota. Gauthier and Snuggerud, both high-end goal scorers. Cooley, a high-end playmaker who can also score himself. So there's a lot there for those guys to, to really feast on. And so USA, they're not necessarily as dynamic top to bottom, but that top line is dynamic. They're going to be expected to score. They have to score in order for Team USA to have success. Now, they do have some guys at the next level that should be able to provide secondary scoring, Rucker McGordy. Uh, J- Jackson Blake is a guy that I think will play an outsized role compared to what maybe expectations on the outside were. It seems like he's going to be a top six guy for them. Um, he's had a strong camp, and, and they really like what he brings to the table. And then you've got Chaz Lucius. If he's healthy and he's able to go, um, you know, number two center, guy that can score some goals, a guy that has some dynamic skills, some great hands and tight. So, you know, that's that's another thing that the U.S. is going to need. But you need all four lines going. You need to have offense on all four lines. And I think they will based on the way that the, that, that everything was structured. It's not just going to be a grinded out fourth line. They're going to be grindy. They're going to be uh, – it's going to be about work ethic, but that's not all they're going to be. So that's going to be it. The real key thing for this U.S. team is how fast can they play And will it allow them to get past the fact that their blue line is so small? And size in in single instances may not matter. When you're talking about an entire decor that is, you know, basically below six feet, except for Ryan Chesley and and Luke Hughes, then we're talking about a potential, you know, can they defend the middle well enough? Are they going to be able to protect the net front? How, How much will the forwards have to come back and help? Does that disrupt their ability to transition offensively? These are the questions that have to be asked going into the tournament, and they'll start to get answered in the pre-tournament games. They'll play uh, Finland uh, this evening, and then also later in the week they'll play Sweden. So that gives you a good idea of kind of what Team USA is going to play like. But I I think that these two, you know, these two pre-tournament games, it's not the end-all, be-all. But we also there's just a lot of questions left for this U.S. team to answer. So very excited to see where everything ends up. You know, I think that Cooley and Lucius are going to be hugely important up front. Hughes, hugely important on the back end. Um, You know, how much does that allow guys like Lane Hudson, Seamus Casey, you know, other players that had really strong camps that look like they can play a pretty solid role. You know, and then you've still got the experience of Sean Behrens and Jack Peart. You know, there's there's a lot there for the U.S. to kind of juggle around. So I think Rand Pecknold uh, has a has a clear mandate for his team, and that is to play fast. It's to be a hardworking team. It's to be an attacking team. And, you know, the goaltending is going to be a situation, is, is, is not necessarily a strength. The defense is going to be unique. We'll see if it works. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated because Canada is the polar opposite. We're going to talk about Canada next year. They're the polar opposite of Team USA in terms of, that their decor is huge. They only have one defenseman that's below 6'2", and that's Olin Zellweger, who probably will be one of their most utilized defensemen. But, you know, that's the way that Canada decided to build their team. They wanted to be older, bigger, and stronger, and that is what they are, and that is going to be two kind of separate. If we, I hope we get to see U.S. versus Canada at some point. They're on opposite sides of the bracket. You know, the soonest they could play is the semifinals. So, you know, there's, oh, I guess, you know, if the U.S. falters and and plays poorly enough in the the prelims, they could get Canada in the quarterfinals. But, you know, that that's probably not necessarily going to happen. But that's where Team USA needs to, uh, you know, basically say, okay, well, we're going to skate. We're going to outskate you. And they've done that before, and it's worked before. But 
this is going to be very different from from anything we've seen in terms of you know just the the balance of their decor and the fact that it's all puck moving defensemen guys that play fast um i can't wait to see if it works um i know that there's a lot of people that are skeptical about it but also this is kind of the team that the player pool dictated usa could have gone for size but they would have been giving away quite a bit of puck moving ability and pace so that's kind of where you see, okay, well, let's just try it this way, and we'll see if it works. It's it's going to be very interesting to watch. All right, let's move on to Team Canada because I think everybody expects Canada to be the favorite into the tournament. On paper, they look outstanding. They've got a tremendous amount of forward, uh, you know, uh, pop in terms of their scoring ability and different players. They got multiple players back from the NHL, as we talked about last week. Shane Wright was named the captain of Team Canada. He's got NHL experience. You know, he would have been part of the World Junior Team last year. He was before it got canceled, and then he did not play um, in the summer as to get ready for his rookie season. And now he's going to have this leadership role and a chance to make a significant impact on a team that fully should expect to win the tournament. Now, the thing is, is these teams as constructed, they can be the best teams. They don't always win. That's why we play games. It's because you don't know the outcome until it's over. And so... To see Shane Wright here, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for him to get back within his own age group and his own player pool to get that offensive game going again. He started doing that at the AHL level. He's going to be Canada's number one center in addition to being their team captain. It's a tremendous experience. So if you're the Seattle Kraken and you're a fan of the Kraken, this is the best possible scenario that you could hope for for your prized prospect. You got Matty Beniers doing a great job at the NHL level. He's been ready. Shane Wright wasn't as ready. This is an opportunity for him to prove that he's getting closer and closer and to be a dominant player at this level would say a lot about his chances. And maybe he goes back to the NHL. Maybe he goes back to junior. Either way, he's on the right track here, and this is a great opportunity in front of him. Now, as we look at Canada's roster, I mean, just tremendous. We already know Connor Bedard returning from last year, tremendous goal-scoring talent. He's going to be on the top line. As of right now, the top line is Brennan Offman, New York Rangers first-rounder, Shane Wright, and Connor Bedard. So we're talking about a devastating trio of forwards. This group played a little bit together at the World Under-18 Championship um, in two years ago. Shane Wright was my pick for MVP in that tournament, even though he was uh, he missed a game, and he actually was playing through injuries, and he was just absolutely dominant. Connor Bedard was in the mix. It was actually Matt Vimichkov from Russia who ended up becoming the MVP of that tournament. But Shane Wright had such a tremendous impact on that Canadian roster. I fully expect him to do that again here. But when you have Connor Bedard, now, you know, Shane Wright's going to be focusing on in distributing pucks. He's got two really good scorers in Othman and Bedard, guys that can put the puck in the net. But, you know, Shane Wright has a great shot himself. So it's just, are they going to be able to share the puck enough? Are they going to be able to make those plays? I think they will. They're tremendously gifted offensive players and have a great mind for the game. That second line that we're talking about for Team Canada, at least as constructed, this is via Mark Masters of TSN, who's been following Canada throughout their camp and has been tracking their lineups. Adam Fantilli on the left wing with Logan Stankovin at center and uh, uh, Dylan Gunther, sorry, at right wing. So you've got an NHL player on the right wing, you've got a potential number two pick on the left wing, and you've got the CHL player of the year in the middle, as Logan Stankovin was that last year. He's a tremendously gifted player, a Dallas Stars prospect. He's undersized, but boy, if you watch that World Juniors last summer, he was every bit as impactful as any forward on that team. He assisted on the game-winning goal that was scored by Kent Johnson, and he was just tenacious. He was so difficult to contain. 
And that's the thing. He's a little bit of a bulldog on the ice. He's, he's small, but he is difficult to knock off the puck. He's got tremendous skill and hockey intelligence, a tremendous center for them there. And then you've got the lower lineups and you've got size over size over size. You've got, you know, uh, Nathan Gaucher playing, you know, potentially the number three center role. You've got, um, you know, Colton Dock is potentially the thir- 13th forward or maybe the fourth line center. Uh, Caden Bankier, who's had a tremendous year this season, is he's got size to him as well. Zach Ostapchuk, who very well could move anywhere up and down their lineup, another big body. So this is a team that has a lot of size. They've got physicality. All four lines have a scoring threat on it. It is going to be very difficult to contain that team. And then you look at the blue line, and they are built with size as well. Olin Zellweger, who we mentioned, he was one of the best players in last World Juniors over the summer. He was one of the best players at the U18s in his U18 year when Canada won gold. He's only known winning gold medals, and he has been a tremendous asset to this team. A second-round draft pick of the Anaheim Ducks. He is going to be a significant player on this team, even though he is the smallest defenseman at 5'10". But another player to watch, and if you are a Chicago Blackhawks fan, you own the left side of this blue line. This is all Blackhawks draft picks. Ethan Del Mastro, who has been on an upward trajectory like you wouldn't believe. He's a big defenseman. He defends extremely well. He's producing now. He's played extremely, just just the growth in his game from when I saw him in that that COVID year to now is just remarkable. He is a well-rounded player. And as of right now, on Canada's top pairing with Zellweger. Also, Nolan Allen, a physical, booming check. I mean, like this guy just, he kills people. Not literally, but he is he is somebody that will put you on your seat and you will know that he was there because that is the way that he plays. There's an edge to his game. His puck moving capabilities are okay, but I think that he's that that physical nature. He was a late first round pick of Chicago two years ago. Um, he was also part of that Canadian U18 team that won gold in Texas a couple of years ago. So he's getting a huge opportunity here as a potential top four defenseman. Brant Clark, released by the LA Kings to come to this, uh, has a chance to return to the Kings after the tournament. I think he's got a great opportunity in front of him to be a, a, a guy that potentially plays on one of their power play units, gets an opportunity to move some pucks and put up some points. He will be, you know, and having a guy like Allen, who's more of that stay at home kind of guy, it allows Clark to freelance a little bit. And when he does that, he has a lot of success. He gets pucked up, up ice really quickly. You know, if you're if you're Canada and you're saying, okay, well, we've got Kevin Korchinski on our third pairing, another Blackhawks first rounder. He was the first of three first round picks by Chicago in the last draft. He's on the third pairing right now. Tremendous puck mover, excellent skating ability, good size, good range, good mobility. He's currently the, on your third pairing. And that's another guy where it'd say, okay, well, we're giving him 15 minutes a game. And he's giving us really effective shifts the whole way. Jack Matier, National Predators prospect, he will also be on that third pairing. And then the last is, is Tyson Hines. And, and so he he was maybe one of the guys that was a bit of a surprise to make this team over Carson Lambos, who was cut uh, from Canada, which was a big surprise to a lot of us that uh, that figured that he would be a big part of the team. I even mentioned on the podcast last week before Canada made their cuts, that I thought Carson Lambos was going to be a huge player for Canada. And they are not taking him because they they went with bigger guys and they have their their puck movers like Brent Clark and Olin Zellweger and Kevin Korchinski and they edged a player like Carson Lambos out. The real question for Cannon, we've talked about it many times, is will the goaltending hold up? You got Ben Gaudreau and Thomas Millick. They're both going to get opportunities to potentially start for this team. Millick has had the better numbers this year. Gaudreau has the 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 World Under 18 gold medal from a couple of years ago, which is very fresh in the minds of 
of Hockey Canada. But that's going to be the thing. Will they have enough uh, in the net? Will those guys be able to hold it down? Really, all they have to do is manage the game. We always talk about you know those 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 average quarterbacks that that just have to manage a game, don't make too many mistakes. That's basically what these guys have to do. And that's kind of the, the whole mandate for their team. So that's Canada. Are they the favorites? Of course they are. They're going to have, you know, they have the potential top two picks from the next draft. They have the the fourth overall pick from, uh, you know, three guys that have played in the NHL this year, the CHL player of the year, tremendous size on the back end. They have a lot there. So, Somebody's going to have to go in there and and not be afraid of that team and and not respect them too much. We've seen that many many times in this tournament. If you respect Canada too much, they are going to take advantage of that and they are going to toy with you for the entire game. If you go in there and you, and you think back to to Trevor Zegers talking kind of smack talking Canada before the twenty uh, the twenty twenty one gold medal game and said they haven't played a real team yet, um, you know that was that was basically that kind of uh, embodiment of you can't have too much respect for them. Yes, they're the best team on paper. Yes, they're big. Yes, they're physical. But if you don't believe you can beat them, you, you just won't because they will take advantage of that. They're great at playing the mind games, and this is going to be a very fun team to watch. So can't wait to see what this Canadian team does at the tournament. Want to very quickly run through the rest of the field because I think that you know the U.S. and Canada, to me, are the top two teams on paper but there are some really good teams. I think Sweden is going to be interesting. We're going to start there with them. They've got a really good forward group. Leo Carlson, who could be the number four pick in this or number three pick in this NHL draft. You know, Fabian Liesel, the first round of the Boston Bruins, Liam Ogren, Jonathan you know, Lakaramaki, Noah Oslin, Philip Bistet, you know, a group of first round draft picks that could be significant players for this Swedish team. Where I have concerns is on the back end. They don't have Simon Edvinson. They don't have... Matthias Havilid, who is a really strong young puck mover. Um, so, you know, they, they're they missing some core pieces that I think would have really helped them in this tournament. And Edvinson is a huge loss in the back end. Meanwhile, their goaltending is okay. They got Carl Lindbaum, the uh, the the Vegas Golden Knights prospect. You know, so they, they have some some capability in the net as well. And Sweden is always a team that, that kind of builds throughout the tournament. They are going to be under a new head coach this year, Magnus Havilid who uh, won two gold medals with Sweden at the under-18 Worlds um, in his tenure, which had never happened before. Those, you know, So that is, he's taking this team over, and he's got the group that he won his most recent gold medal with, which was led by Ogren, Lakaramaki, Oslin. Um, and, and so we'll have to see exactly how he's able to transition to the U-20 ranks, uh, but we know that they'll be well-coached, and they're going to be a team that believes that they can make some noise in this tournament. It's just, do they have the depth, especially on the back end, to do it? That's where I have some concerns. When we look at Team Finland, they're going to have a blue line that's built very similarly to Team USA's in that it's not going to be very big, but it is going to be quick. It is going to be puck moving, and it's going to be led by a young player, Aaron Kiviharyu, not even draft eligible until 2024. He has been playing above his head for a few years now. Um, you know, He's been playing at an advanced level. He was a very strong player at the Under-18 World Championship last year. You know, he's a guy that has a lot of experience. For such a young player, not draft eligible until next year, but he's going to be a player to watch. He's a guy that a lot of people are going to have their eyes on very closely, especially looking ahead to the next draft. They have other guys like Alexi Hamilsalmi, um, you know, just that, that that will move pucks as well. So that's going to be another another key factor. There's a dynamic element up front. You've got Brad Lambert who plays with speed and skill. He's been playing with the Manitoba Moose in the AHL this year. He's expected to be 
joining Team Finland for his third World Junior Championship. So that helps them a lot in the speed and skill factor. That's something that you want to see from uh, from from Finland is is getting those guys going early. The goaltending should be solid enough. Um, you never really know until you get there who's going to be the starter. They have you know three decent options to them. Nicholas Coco is uh, one of the drafted players that you know should have an opportunity to to be the the guy there, but not necessarily uh, a lock by any means because they have talent at that position. But you know, in addition to Brad Lambert, there's also Joachim Kamel. Um, you know, who can be a very talented scorer and could be a guy that, that takes a big step this year. So Finland is going to be a threat as they always are. They play a very strong team game. They're very difficult to play against. And that is going to help them ultimately in this tournament. Will they be able to, um, you know, take the next step as a team and, and, and actually, you know, be like they were last year in the final of this tournament? It's absolutely possible. They'll be in Team USA's bracket um, in group play. So, We'll, we'll have plenty of chances to watch Finland here in the U.S. The dark horse team for me, the team that can spoil this whole thing for everybody, and it's not a guarantee, and it's certainly they don't have the depth of some of these other teams, but keep an eye on Czechia. They upset the U.S. in the quarterfinals last year. I think that they have as good or better a team this year. David Juracek playing a significant role for this team, playing big minutes. That is going to be huge for them. He's had some NHL experience. He's been playing extremely well in the AHL. He's very mature. He makes a lot of great plays. He's going to help at both ends of the ice. I also think Stanislav Svozil, who plays with the Regina Pats and is another Columbus Blue Jackets prospect, I think he's going to be a very important player as well for Czechia. Those two guys are going to play an awful lot on the back end, and that's going to help their team. But up front, they've got Yuri Kulich, who's been outstanding this season for the Rochester Americans. He can score a lot of goals for you. Edward Schala, who's a, a draft-eligible prospect who's been playing against men in Czechia this whole year, he's going to get a chance to get back with the juniors, and that should really help open up the game. There should be more time and space for him to operate. He's a very confident puck mover. He makes a lot of plays. He'll be a big factor as well, so keep an eye on him. And then it'll come down to goaltending. Thomas Suhanek last year could steal a game for them. If he can do that again this year, they have a chance. They need goaltending to be strong. But I think Czechia has enough firepower on their roster to make enough noise to really keep every team honest, and that includes the U.S. and Canada. It's not a guarantee that they are going to you know, go far in this tournament, but I think that of the teams outside of the top four, that is a team that has the best chance to do it. So keep an eye on Czechia. Moving on to Slovakia, they're not going to have Juraj Slavkovsky, at least as far as we know. And that is a significant loss for their team, obviously. But they have a really good team still. They have Simon Nemec coming from the New Jersey Devils. He's been playing the American Hockey League this year. We'll see how he handles the amount of minutes that he's certainly going to get for Slovakia. You also have uh, Delibor Dvorsky, who is a potential top 10 pick in this year's draft. And you also have guys like Philip Mayshar, who was a a first-round pick of the Montreal Canadiens in the last draft. And then, you know, you've got other guys like uh, uh, um, uh, Adam Sikora. Sorry, I was just blanking on his name. Uh, the New York Rangers prospect, Samuel Hanzik, who has a chance to be a first-rounder in this year's draft. So Slovakia has some firepower as well. I don't know if they're necessarily going to have the goaltending to get the job done, but they might. And you never know. You, you Sometimes we get these surprise goalies. You get a Dennis Godla performance out of nowhere. And then that gives you a chance to advance into the tournament. So Slovakia is not going to be a slouch. I think that they've got enough 
bodies. And I think they also have confidence in terms of, you know, a lot of these guys wanting, uh, made it to the final of the Holinka Gretzky Cup a couple of years ago. And even if you don't have your Slavkovsky, you still have a ton of players that are significant to your team. So I think that's going to be a team to watch as well. Latvia was the miracle team last year. Um, you know, they had a, a great team that that just battled and, and and snuck into the quarterfinals. And, and it was the first time they had made the playoff round. And you just saw the emotion that that brought, you know, some of the guys that, that were stars of that. They will have Martins Lavins back. He's plays for the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders in the USHL. You've got some other players um, that'll be back from last year's team as well. The, the most important being Dan's Loke Mellis and Sandus Vilmanis, two of the drafted players, Loke Mellis of the Bruins. Manus of the Panthers, those guys can play with top level players. They can hang. Um, you know, they're they're really good, but you know, do they have the depth? I don't know if we'll see a repeat of last year from Latvia. Switzerland will be really interesting. We're we're expecting Leon Bixell to be on that that team, the first round pick of Dallas. He's gonna play a lot of minutes as, and he's going to be an important player. Uh, they also have one other drafted player, Brian Zanetti, a defense prospect of the Philadelphia Flyers. And these last few years for Switzerland have been down years, really unfortunate, you know, that they they had had such a good run going there. You know, you get guys like Nico Heischer coming through, you get other players like Kevin Fiala and all these, and, and as those guys age out, you need more to replace them. Well, they haven't necessarily had that. That said, their U-17 team in a international tournament just last week Beat the U.S. in a in a in a preliminary round game, then lost to them in the championship game. But they beat Sweden as well. So Switzerland might be back on the rise in that U17 level. I I haven't seen the video from those games yet to know for sure. But you know, I think that that says a lot. That they beat that U.S. team that won the World Under 17 Challenge in a pre turn or a preliminary round game, and then you know end up hanging with them pretty well in the championship game. So that's good for Switzerland in the future. Doesn't help them right now. But that's that's all right because I think you know you get a guy like Bixell and and that definitely helps your your cause. Austria is going to be missing their best player as well. Um, that is going to be a, a tough one for them. Marco Casper not going to join Austria at the World Junior Championship despite being age eligible. He's currently playing for Rogel in the SHL, first round pick of the Detroit Red Wings. Not going to be available for the tournament, so that puts a lot of pressure on a lot of other players like Vincenz Rohr, who was a, 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 Can a Canadian's draft pick. Um, and then you've got, you know, uh, a lot of pressure on their goaltending. And you also have on the back end, Daniel Reinbacher, who, or Rohrbach, sorry, Daniel Reinbacher, I'm going to get it right one of these times, who is a draft eligible this year. He's playing extremely well in the Swiss uh, League One, or NLA. He is, you know, averaging about a half a point per game almost in that league, which is really impressive for a U18 defenseman. He's turning a lot of heads for the draft this year. I expect him to play a pretty big role for Austria, so that's a player to watch. And lastly, we'll cover Germany. Germany's got a few drafted players on their team. Nikita Kwap, their goaltender, Carolina prospect, Hacken Hanel, uh, who was drafted by the Washington Capitals, and Julian Lutz, who uh, was drafted by Arizona. Those are players that can make a significant impact on the roster. Do they have enough players like that to do much more than that? I'm not really sure. They also have one of my personal favorites, a guy that I think will sign an NHL deal eventually. And Bennett Rossamy, who's a two-way physical player who can score, um, you know, so he'll have a chance to make an impact on the tournament. But again, you know, Germany, Austria, Latvia, Switzerland—we're talking about four teams. When you don't have Russia in the tournament, one of those teams is going to have a chance to get into the quarterfinals, or multiple teams of that is going to have a chance to get in the quarterfinals. And it kind of impacts the competitive balance a little bit when you don't have as many challenging quarterfinal games. But as we saw last year, 
Upsets can happen. The U.S. fell to Czech Republic, or Czechia rather, and that's where that all went. So it can be a very big challenge to get through uh, this entire tournament. It's a long tournament. Anything can happen. So even those teams at the bottom, while I don't think they have a chance or a prayer to win a gold medal, they do have a chance to at least get into play for a medal uh, in the uh, usually in the bronze department. But that's still a pretty huge accomplishment. And even as we saw last year, just for Latvia to get into the playoff round, major accomplishment for them. And by the way, coming up next year, Norway. They just won their division. Um, and so they will be promoted. There will be relegation this year in this World Junior Championship. So the last place team will be heading out. So there is a lot of pressure even at the bottom of the standings to be better this year. All right, we're going to move into our question and answer portion. And our first one uh, is going to come via DM. So we won't have it pop up on the screen, but I will read it for you. And this one comes from at Millward Mafia. Who are the top draft eligible European players in this tournament? Is there anybody eligible in the tournament who could become a top 10 type by the end of the year, like a Marco Casper last year? Really good question. You know, I think Marco Casper really took off in the second half of the season. And not only did he improve his stock by playing hard at the World Juniors before it got canceled, but also by playing a very significant role at the World Championship, which allowed him to, you know, showcase himself better. You know, I think there are a lot of really good draft eligibles in general. You obviously know about Bedard, Fantilli. Um, you know, USA has Charlie Stramel, Gavin Brindley. Um, but in terms of the European teams, Leo Carlson is the number one draft prospect among the European players. He's got a chance to go in the top five, in the top three even, of this NHL draft. He's having a tremendous year in the SHL. Sweden is going to need him to be a big factor. He's a big body. He's able to make you know some plays. He's got some power forward elements to him. That's going to be important for him to show. Delibor Dvorsky, high-end playmaker, very skilled, having a very strong season in all Spenskin. He's been a guy that I've wanted to see more from all year, and I think in this tournament he has a chance to really improve his stock. David Reinbacher, we mentioned from Austria. It's going to be really hard for him to stand out in this tournament because Austria is not going to have the puck a lot. They didn't last year, and that was challenging. If you, if he makes a significant impact on his team – you know, in a positive way, that says a lot given the adverse situation that he's in. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on him. Edward Shala, who we also mentioned, I think that's the guy that probably has the most to gain from this actual tournament um, in terms of his draft stock because he's been playing in, against men in Czechia and it's really hard to produce there and it's really hard to stand out. And it's a hard to even get the minutes necessary to get where you're going. But with this Czech team, he should play a pretty substantial role. And if he does, and if he has success there, that's the guy that I think could really move up. And he's been in kind of the top 10 conversation throughout the year. So he's not going to surprise anybody. Marco Casper didn't really surprise anybody either, but he steadily rose up throughout the season. Um, and you can start that here at the World Junior Championship. So that's a guy to keep an eye on. Another player that I think is starting to really see his stock rise is Samuel Hanzek, who's playing. He's, he's going to play for Slovakia at this tournament. He plays for the Vancouver Giants in the WHL right now. I've been talking to scouts, and that's they keep telling me this is a guy to keep an eye on for that first round. He's got you know good size. He's making an impact offensively. He makes an impact at both ends of the ice. A couple other players just to be to make note of: Axel Sandin Pelika making the team as underager for Sweden. You know, I think Simon Edmondson's absence opens the door for a guy like him. He's a very solid puck mover. He's got good offensive capabilities, played some SHL games this year. So that's a guy to watch as well. And, you know, it's it's very rare to see a U18 defenseman make that Swedish team. So it says a lot about Axel Sandin Pelica that they wanted to take him at least as their 20, as as part of their 25. 
that'll be coming to Atlanta, Canada. Also, Maxime Sturback, who plays at the Sioux Falls Stampede in the USHL. You can watch him all the time on Flow Hockey. He will be part of Slovakia's team. He was in the summer as well. That's another guy who has his stock has fluctuated throughout the season. He needs a bit of a rebound. Maybe that can happen here at the World Junior Championship. But to answer the, the question in terms of who will be the guy that kind of moves up, I really think Edward Shala is that guy that's going to be the, the one that kind of pops a little bit at the World Juniors. And then we're talking about him a lot more, though I know that there are a lot of people that already like him quite a bit. All right. Our next question comes from at randomtask68. And he asks, are USA, Canada, Finland, Sweden – the consensus top four teams? And if so, which of the remaining four nations has the best chance to upset one of the top four? And two, which draft eligible player can increase their stock the most with a good tourney? So kind of answered this a little bit before, but I'll do it again. I think that, yes, those top four teams are the best four teams on paper. Czechia is the team with the best opportunity to upset the apple cart there. But also, you know, Slovakia could be a threat. So keep an eye on Slovakia as well. They're not, I'm not convinced that they're you know, they have enough, but I think that both of those teams, if you aren't prepared to play either of them, you could lose. And you want to make sure that if it happens, it happens in the preliminary round and not in the knockout stage. Um, But also, as I mentioned before, I think Edward Schall is the guy who has the most to gain in terms of draft stock, just because it's been really hard for him to play, um, you know, at a high enough level against men. Whereas here he's going to have more time. He's going to have the right role. He probably will have the right line mates. He was really good with Yuri Kulich at the World Under 18s last year. Do they reconnect? And is that chemistry still active? Those are the types of things that could help quite a bit. All right. Our next question comes from at MN State of Hockey. Likelihood that former gopher Chaz Lucius is good enough to play at the start of the tournament. As far as I can tell, uh, Chaz Lucius, who came into the tournament uh, or into USA's camp injured and was in a non-contact jersey for most of it. And I had another question about this, so I, I apologize for not um, including that as well. But um, Chaz Lucius is expected, like he's on a good track. Like I think that there's a, an expectation that he's going to play, that he's going to be part of the roster, and then they have that flexibility if they need to replace him later um, that they can. I don't necessarily know yet if he will be prepared to play on day one. Um, you know, he was in that non-contact jersey, so that makes it a little bit further away. He was listed as week to week before he left Manitoba, but Manitoba wouldn't have released him if he wasn't going to be healthy enough to play by in time for the tournament. And USA wouldn't have taken him if they didn't think he was going to be healthy enough to play. So I do think that Chaz Lucius will not only play, but be an important player for Team USA. All right, our next one comes from Mike Craddy, and he asks, what's your best guess? at the top two forward lines for Team USA to start the tournament. We talked a little bit about the top line, and the I think that'll be Cutter Goche, Logan Cooley, and Jimmy Snuggerud. I think those three are going to stay together. I think they're going to be Team USA's top scoring line. That could change, but I think that's what it's going to be. As for the second line, based on the reports coming out of camp, I wasn't at camp, but from what I've heard, um, a, a line that is looking like it's going to be together fairly consistently is Rucker McGroarty. Chaz Lucius, and Jackson Blake. So a lot of people probably didn't expect Jackson Blake to be in a top six role for this team with a number of first-rounders on the roster. A guy that played in the USHL for the Chicago Steel last year, having a great year with the University of North Dakota, Carolina Hurricanes draft pick. He has been playing extremely well. They like him a lot. They believe he's going to be a big part of their offensive attack. And then you've got Rucker McGordy, who 
he doesn't necessarily play the style in terms of that pacey style. Like skating is, it can be an issue for him, but he thinks the game at a high level. He's able to con- convert on a lot of chances. He's got a big shot. So you get some scoring ability out of him. So I think he's going to be in that role. After that, things get a little bit jumbly, but I think, you know, we'll see Dylan Duke with Red Savage and Tyler Boucher. That's going to be a kind of a grinded out, but also offensive minded line where, you know, Dylan Duke can be a, a, a goal scorer. He has been a goal scorer. You know, that that's going to be a line that I think is going to be kind of that work ethic, hard line to play against. I think we'll probably see Noah Laba in that fourth line center, maybe Kenny Connors on one of the wings there. Um, you know, it's just kind of a, a cavalcade. Could it be Graham Brindley? Could it be Charlie Stramel? Could it be Sam Lipkin? Um, there are a lot of options there for that fourth line as well. So we'll have to wait and see exactly how that's all going to shake out because the U.S., as we said, they're going to bring in 25. They're only rostering 23. You know, it makes it a little difficult to kind of project the, the bottom of that lineup. But that's what I, I see the top two lines. I think that those are the, the lines that they'll they'll at least start the tournament with. All right, our next question comes from at P. Thornberger. Is Trey Augustine firmly in the mix to start for Team USA? And also, do you see him as the top goalie prospect in the 2023 draft? We also had a, another question that was Augustine-related, so I'm going to get to that one as well, and that's from at BHawks0035. Any chance we see Augustine taking over the starters role? Also, I love this Czech team to go far in this tournament. Are you in agreement there? Appreciate all your hard work. Already uh, got to the check part, but we'll answer the two Trey Augustine questions. And there's our our question on the screen there. Thanks, Colt, for throwing that up there so we can get another read of it. And any chance we see Augustine taking over? Uh, you know, I, I think to answer both questions, I think he is in the mix to start. I don't think that the decision is set in stone yet. I do think that Caden Barico has the leg up because he has World Junior experience. He played really well up until the quarterfinal last year, and he's had a good season at Colorado College. Trey Augustine is the bigger goaltender. He's ha- he's a little bit more consistent. He's a little bit more predictable, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you throw him right in there. He's an underage player, so he's you know he's, he is draft eligible. Um, and you know, do you want to give him that big of a spotlight? I do think he'll make a start or two uh, in, at some point in this tournament. I think he'll get a start in one of the pre-tournament games as well. Both he and Embarico are listed as being as playing in the first one, so maybe they'll get they'll split that game, and then we'll see who starts that second game. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to break down yet, but I do think that that's going to be part of the idea. But Embarico's looked good apparently in camp. He's he's had some good moments. You know, do they trust him enough? He's a five foot eleven goaltender that has to rely more on feel and athleticism than necessarily technique, because just even when you are, even if you have perfect technique at your size. You still can get beat beat high, so you got to be a little bit quicker and all those different things. So we'll see. But I think that Augustine is in the mix. In terms of if he is the best goaltending prospect for the 2023 draft, I wouldn't say that, no. But I do think that he is going to be a reasonably high pick. He doesn't have that. He he, he has good enough size. He's about six foot even. Um, but, you know, a lot of those goaltenders, you look at this class, and you've got Michael Harabo, who's six foot six. You've got Karrison Barnisham, who is uh, is six foot three, you know, like those guys with the, the bigger bodies, they're going to be projected a little bit more favorably. Um, I think Robble is a guy that has also a lot of, a lot of other tools that he could be a top end player. I don't know. You know, I, I had Robble in my first round before. I don't necessarily know if we'll see a goaltender go in the first round this year. I think Augustine's probably going to settle into the mid rounds, but he's going to be, you know, a guy that I think, you know, gets drafted and, and has a chance to play um, down the road here. So uh, to answer the question, I don't think he's the top goaltending prospect in this draft, but he is a good goaltending prospect for this draft and is having a great year. 
at the NTDP. All right, our next question comes from at Intent Offsides. And he asks, the chances of the UMass duo, Ryan Ufko and Kenny Connors making the team. Well, technically, they've made the team because USA is calling the 25 players their final roster. Whether or not they are among the 23 remains to be seen. I think Kenny Connors is very firmly in that group. Um, it is my understanding that he was actually playing kind of in Chaz Lucius's spot as the number two center. Um, and so that suggests to me that he's going to be on the team. I think he'll probably end up playing further down the lineup and possibly on the wing, which is fine. He's a very versatile player, gives a lot of value. Los Angeles Kings prospect. Ryan Ufko is one of the guys where I'm not entirely sure yet. You've got him and Seamus Casey um, and then also Luke Middlestat, who I think are kind of the guys that are on the bubble for that last defense spot. I think the rest of the guys that that are there are dialed in, locked in, and there could be one or two of those guys that I'm, I I just haven't heard who's locked in and dialed in yet. But I, I do think that those guys, that, that group that I just mentioned, they're still battling it out. Um, so we'll see if it's Ufko. I mean, he's got the advantages of, of you know, kind of, playing a, a high-end role at UMass, and that's good experience for him. But, you know, those two guys, I think they'll, you know, they're on the team, but will they play? You know, I think Connors for sure and Ufko maybe. I'm not, I'm not 100% there yet, um, and I haven't heard one way or the other. I think they're still trying to sort that last spot out a little bit on the blue line as well because they're all this kind of the same. They all play the same way. They all have good mobility. They all move pucks well. You know, does he... Does he do anything better than those other guys? And I think it's probably between Ufko, Luke Middlestat, and then Seamus Casey, though I think Casey had a strong enough camp to suggest that he's going to be on the team. And this is another question about kind of the, the 25, and this comes from um, – or sorry, I, I'm, skipping, I'm skipping ahead here, but uh, Colt, sorry, this one's from, from at Aitson. And this was – his question is, do you think Middlestat and Brindley are the odd guys out for sitting in the tourney. I know teams can bring 25, but can't see the guys cracking the 23-man roster. And then any update on Lucius, we covered that. But um, in terms of the four, the last forward spot, it's a good question uh, to ask there because we've got uh, um, Gavin Brindley, uh, who is a really talented, versatile forward, a little bit on the smaller side, but one of the faster players. And so that's something that'll be interesting. Um, and then you've also got, uh, uh, you know, Luke Middlestad, who I just mentioned, I think he's kind of on the bubble, uh, to, to, to play in that seventh defenseman kind of role. Um, but I think Brindley has a chance. I think he's battling it out with guys like Sam Lipkin and with Charlie Stramel. And it's just going to be a matter of, do they want to go get a you know bigger body or do they want to be faster? That's kind of the two Things I, I think Brindley's kind of one of those bubble guys as well. Um, so, yeah, so that is going to do it for the, the the 25 versus 23 question. It's really tough to say, um, but that's where we're going to go. All right. Now I'm going to get back on track because I took Colt off track, our producer here. But I'm going to get back on track here with our question from Chad Schumacher. And he asks, after seeing the Canadian first line, are they awarding the gold to Canada? <laughs> And uh, Chad, I can understand why you say that, because when you see Brennan Offman with Shane Wright and Connor Bedard, you say, who's stopping that? And honestly, I think the U.S. is going to have to say, who is the line that's going to match up against that? I think they would get a heavy dose of Red Savage 
uh, and uh, and Tyler Boucher more than likely in terms of forward groups. But what do you get when the defense, you know, how do, how do you match up with them when you don't have an, a, a true shutdown defenseman on your roster? I think you might see a, a healthy dose of Ryan Chesley in that regard. We'll have to see exactly how that plays out. But, you know, I think Canada is clearly, again, they're the, they're the favorite. They're the best team on paper, no question about it. It's just a matter of, you know, can they can they be beaten? I, I, I think they can. I mean, you know, the, the thing about being a very big team, I don't think they're going to be as quick as some of the other teams there. They certainly have guys that can skate fast and, and play fast, but I don't think that they're going to have the speed of, of the U.S. team. That could be the defining factor if those teams do end up matching up. And the same thing, you know, you've got a, a lot of high-end skill on Sweden's roster. you got a lot of high-end skill on Finland's roster. There's good skill on Czech's roster and even on Slovakia's roster. So you have to come prepared to play. And I think Canada will. I think they're hungry. They're going to have home ice advantage. It's going to be loud. The games are sold out. So a lot there. Uh, but I think that that's going to be um, very interesting to watch overall. All right. Now we're going to go to uh, a this or that question from our pal Bill Armstrong's burner account. And again, we want to state clearly, we don't think this is actually Arizona Coyotes GM Bill Armstrong's burner account, but we could be wrong. Um, this one comes from him. It's, it's who will have more points out of the two goats in this tournament, Cooley or Genther? Uh, so Logan Cooley or Dylan Genther, those are the two guys uh, that uh, that are in the mix. And I, I forgot to send Colt the link so that he could put that question up for our pal Bill Armstrong's burner. But anyway, uh, as I just read it to you, uh, I would say that I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Dylan Gunther because he's going to be playing on Canada's top six. I think Canada's going to score a lot of goals in this tournament. Um, you know, I think Logan Cooley, there's going to be so much asked of him that, you know, he's probably going to be doing a lot of distributing. He might not be dictating the goal scoring as much, um, you know, but I think that if he and Cutter Goche and, and, Jimmy Snugger would get firing, then it would be Cooley because he's going to play more minutes than Gunther probably will in the end because Gunther, as of right now, is on Canada's second line. So we'll have to wait and see exactly what the ice time looks like. But I would, I would, I would say that you know I think Canada is going to score a lot in this tournament, and I would say that Gunther is probably the guy that that could you know outproduce Cooley in the tournament, which says nothing about the uh, e- either player really. I mean, I think Logan Cooley is going to be such an important piece for the U.S. that. He's if I'm going to say who's the more important between the two players, by far it's Cooley. All right, our next one comes from at JRA Rock, and this is a, a serious question, and it's one that I completely understand being asked because we are we should be thinking about it. I would want to understand what, if any, are the Hockey Canada issues going to influence this year? Are the players impacted directly or indirectly through increased scrutiny? The attendance or international appeal impacted? Are the finances? through decreased advertising, um, you know, that. So if you don't know, and it'd be hard to believe that you don't, if you listen to this podcast, obviously Hockey Canada has gone through a scandal where the members of the 2018 team were uh, accused of sexual misconduct and sexual assault uh, of a young woman uh, tied to their celebration of their gold medal in 2018. There was a recent report by the Globe and Mail that just came out the other day about the fact that the London police remain, uh, they reopen that investigation and have reason to believe that there could be up to five players charged from that team in that incident. Um, it has been a national scandal in Canada. It has been a significantly detrimental 
um, uh, you know, to, to Hockey Canada's brand, and rightfully so. It has cost several people their jobs, including Scott Smith, who is the CEO of Hockey Canada. Um, the entire board has been replaced by Hockey Canada. And so those are significant things. There has been a lot of work that they've done, but there's still a long way to go. So to get, I'm going to break down these questions. You know, will the Hockey Canada issues influence the tournament? Well, we know it hasn't influenced ticket sales because every game is sold out. Um, and so you can say whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, you know, but I think that in general, the world juniors as a brand is bigger than hockey Canada, at least in terms of the eyes of, of, of fans that want to see these young players and, and see them. And, and also going back to a junior building was kind of part of that was to, you know, we'll, we'll say there are going to be smaller venues, but, you know, ticket sales have kind of lagged and, and certainly in Edmonton, we saw the effects of this and so many other things, ticket sales were dreadful. There was nothing going on there and, and people until the gold medal game, really, it didn't have a crowd or any ambiance or anything. It didn't feel like a world juniors. It was, you know, a bad experience for the players. And I think it just a bad, a bad tournament in general saved by a memorable gold medal game. I, in terms of how this impacts hockey Canada's players, the players that are here now didn't have anything to do with that. You know, you could say, yeah, hockey culture is still going through a reckoning and should be going through a reckoning in terms of, you know, how women are treated in, in, the, in these team settings as well, there needs to be more education about proper behavior in these situations. We're talking about teenage teenagers. And then, you know, once you get to the world junior level, most of these guys are adults. They're 18 or older. They should know better. They should know better when they're 16. You know, they should know better. And I think that that's the big thing is, yes, these players will may get asked about that. They may have to answer questions about it. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's fair to these particular players because they weren't involved in that. Um, but I think the other thing is, too, that these players have been dreaming about playing for Team Canada. They, they don't dream about playing for Hockey Canada. They dream about playing for Canada, the country. That's, you know, and I think that there, there is a separation between the business, which obviously benefits greatly from the brand exposure of the World Juniors, but then to the players representing their country and, and, and growing up with this tournament and wanting and dreaming to play for this tournament. So I think for those guys, it's not going to be as big of an issue where it does have a significant impact is in sponsorships and hockey Canada lost a ton of sponsors. And there have been many that have pulled out of the world junior championship. So that is definitely, there is a financial uh, element that, that they have been impacted by, you know, I actually had a question from a friend the other day about, you know, he noticed that they were using Bauer gear and Bauer had, you know, pulled the, their, their, their funding, um, you know, their sponsorship. And so I don't know, I haven't asked yet. Um, you know, is, does hockey Canada have to purchase that equipment as opposed to what was provided to them by their sponsors before? Um, I don't know the answer to that, but that's another element of saying, you know, this is, there, there will be visible signs of what went on in terms of you know how hockey canada is dealing with it going forward i think they'll probably have found replacement sponsors for some of the ones that pulled out you know tim hortons a lot of them pulled out of men's support they pulled out of world junior coverage support um so like canadian tire and uh i think sobies and like a couple other places that that pulled their their support so you'll see that in the in the actual advertising of the tournament but at the same time you know, I, I think the coverage as well. TSN did a good job in Edmonton covering the story. Obviously, Rick Westhead, who is a TSN reporter, has been one of the leading reporters on this entire uh, issue throughout the entire way. 
And, and so that's TSN, who is the rights holder, who has a deep partnership with Hockey Canada that is taking the journalistic integrity ahead of that partnership, which is admirable. Um, they will probably have to continue to talk about it at this World Junior Championship. It won't be the primary focus of their coverage. But, you know, you, when you look at guys like James Duffy on the panel, um, the reporters that are there, uh, the, the, the people that they will have talking about this issue, it will be part of the story. And it has to be part of the story. We have to we can't let that go because there was a crime committed or alleged to have been committed. And there is now an investigation that is reopened. And Hockey Canada settled with this uh, uh, this person that that was the the victim of uh, of of what happened and so there have been real world consequences to this i i think it's a it's an important question to ask and i i'm glad that you asked it i think in terms of how this impacts the world junior championship as a whole is not necessarily um going to be as noticeable but it shouldn't be forgotten either it shouldn't be it has to be part of the story because hockey canada is still dealing with this reckoning and they will continue to deal with it until there are steps in place to make sure this doesn't happen again. Um, and there is a lot of work to do, and it's not just on Hockey Canada, it's on everyone that's a stakeholder in hockey to continue to address the issues that that are part of this, this cultural reckoning that has to be had. And we're talking about dealing with young players, there needs to be education, there needs to be more enforcement of when there are infractions, it needs to be out, there needs to be transparency. All of those things are important. So it's an important question. I'm, gl I'm glad that you asked it. And it's something that we shouldn't shy away from when we're talking about the World Junior Championship. It can't all be about hockey, especially when things like that are going on. All right, back to the hockey, though. We do have a few questions to wrap us up here on the hockey front. And this one is uh, from Eric the Red 92 And he asks, do you see Team Sweden struggling as much offensively again this tournament as they did in August? So good question. Sweden was a big disappointment in the last tournament. There was so much pressure on Jesper Wallstedt to make all the saves because they just couldn't score. And I have to say, I have some concerns about Sweden. As much as I like their forward group and as much as I think they have guys that can score and they're a year older and they're a year better, or at least a few months older and a few months better, um, you know, guys like Fabian Liesel, like guys like, like Karamaki, um, Oslin, Ogren, you know, these are guys that I think are going to make a significant impact on the tournament. That said, where I have concerns about Sweden is that their back end doesn't have as much of that offensive pop. They have some guys that can play back there. They've certainly, you know, and that's I think a reason why they brought a guy like Axel Sandine Pelica, who is a, a a a draft eligible player on their roster. They need to move pucks. They need to be quick up the ice. That's where I have some concerns about will they be able to produce offensively because I, their their defense isn't necessarily the strongest group, and so if they don't have that we talk about USA's defense and the mobility and the puck movement and how they're going to be able to play fast. Sweden's has to be the same way. And they have good players back there. Guys, guys like Cali Odelius and, and, and others that, that are going to be able to move pucks and make plays. But that's going to be the big question going into the tournament. Is Sweden's decor up to the challenge, especially without Simon Edmondson, without Matthias Havlid, and without guys that would be impact players on their blue line. So it's something to keep an eye on there. All right, our next question comes from at J.A. Huffman 3. And he asks, who will be missed most at the tourney? It's a good question because I think there are a couple teams. I just mentioned Simon Edvinson. He is a big one. But I think the team that is desperate uh, would have been desperate to have him at this tournament, uh, Marco Casper for Austria. He can take over games on his own. He can be a guy that at least keeps you competitive. 
They don't have him. And without him, I just don't see a path forward for Austria beyond the relegation round. If Casper's there, maybe they surprise a team or two. Maybe they get into the quarterfinal. I think when you get down the list of teams in this tournament, one player can make the difference. We saw Nico Heischer a couple of years ago just took over for Switzerland, and he almost beat the U.S. in the quarterfinals in a year that the U.S. ended up winning a gold medal. Uh, and, I mean, that's players that are that good, and I think Marco Casper is a sensational player. He's got a chance to be a number one or a number two center in the NHL. You know, he's, he's going to be a big-time player. Not having him in this tournament really hurts Austria, and it's unfortunate. Understandable, because he's focusing on getting ready for his NHL career, but it's unfortunate, and he will be the player that is most missed at this tournament. All right, we are going to wrap this one up with a question from Brandon, and he asks, who will be the MVP of the tournament? More valuable, Wright or Bedard? I would say that I, I would be willing to guess, Brandon, that those are the two guys that are the biggest you know, odds-on favorites to be the MVP of the tournament. I think Canada's going to score a lot, and I think they're both going to play a, a huge role. You know, I think Shane Wright has the experience. He's got some strength. He's got some some time in the NHL. That may allow him to be the big-time player. But I do think that Connor Bedard is going to score a heck of a lot of goals in this tournament, and goals are going to speak to the voters. Now, I'll have a vote on this, so I don't want to give my outright prediction because I think that I need to stay unbiased in terms of that. But I do think that these two players are going to have a significant role. At the Under-18 World Championship, I might have been one of the only people that voted for Shane Wright for MVP at that tournament. He didn't win it, um, but he played an incredible tournament. He was over two points a game. He was dominant, and that was him at some of the best hockey I've seen him play. And that was why he was such a, a big favorite to go number one last year, and he ends up going number four. This is a player with a chip on his shoulder. This is a player that has something to prove. This is a player who I think is embracing the opportunity to be part of Team Canada, be the captain of this team, and lead them to a gold medal. So I do think that in terms of value between those two players, I think Shane Wright will be the more valuable of the two players to his specific team. But I do think Connor Bedard is going to score a heck of a lot of goals. I would say Luke Hughes is similarly valuable to Team USA. I would say you know guys like Liam Bixell are going to be really important to their team. But I do think when it comes to the MVP discussion, I think a lot of it is going to center around Shane Wright, Connor Bedard. But you never know. Keep an eye out. There could be others. And what happens if Adam Fantilli has a big tournament or what if you know, Logan Stankeman is 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 able to make a, a huge impact. So I'm really excited to see uh, this whole tournament play out. If you are a fan of prospects, if you are a fan of hockey, this is going to be a really exciting World Junior Championship. I, I, you know, not having Russia there does take away some of the competitive balance of the tournament. They're kind of that buffer where you know it, it's it's anybody can kind of get in there, but can they really? You know, like when there are five teams vying for those top four spots, it feels a little more, uh, you know kind of uh, anything can happen. But this year, I think with Czechia and Slovakia, they're resurgent teams. They have more talent. They've got NHL caliber guys on their roster. It's going to be a lot of fun to track. And it's a great year to watch if you're watching the draft. We've got the one, two, and potentially three or four uh, in Leo Carlson. And you got Adam Fantilli and Connor Bedard going in reverse order there. Um, so there's a lot to watch. And we are going to have all of it for you on Flow Hockey. So, we're not going to have a podcast next week. Just a reminder, I'll be at the World Juniors, but definitely get over to flowhockey.tv to see all of our preview coverage, to see everything that you can about the World Junior Championship. We are going to have a blast covering it for you. 
I'm going to be trying to churn out as much content as humanly possible for you to enjoy over the course of the tournament. Can't wait to be there. Also, please, again, if you could, leave a rating, leave a review. It does help a lot. It also lets my bosses know that, hey, people are engaging with our content. So if you want to help me look good to my bosses, throw us a like, throw us a throw us a five-star rating, throw us a comment. It really does help, and it will be greatly appreciated. We'll read a few on the podcast when we come back. I hope to have an episode in the middle of the World Juniors. Um, I will be working with Colt, our producer, to, to make that happen. But it is going to be a very busy couple of weeks for me. I hope that you enjoy the coverage. And I really, really hope that you have an especially happy holidays this year. Hope you get time to spend with your family. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy everything. I cannot wait to get this World Junior Championship going. That is what we're most excited about. So once again, I want to say thank you to Colt, our producer. Happy holidays to you, Colt. Happy holidays to all of our viewers and listeners. And thank you so much for joining us on this podcast every single week. It means a lot. We're having a blast doing it. Hope you are enjoying listening. So that is going to do it for this week's podcast. Talking Hockey Sense is part of the Flow Sports Podcast Network. My name is Chris Peters. We'll catch you next week.